Good morning, and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today and next week, we want to look at uh, the anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, and this is the week that we remember the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And we want to look at why the Japanese decided to bomb Pearl Harbor, what led up to the bombing of the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor, why were we taken by surprise at the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and what, are we, what have we have learned as a nation since the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which was December 7th, 1941. So as we think about Pearl Harbor this week, and we just celebrated the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and unfortunately, we have very few people left that were present during the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And it was sobering to see that just a few were able to attend this past week's uh, memorial of out at Pearl Harbor. But it's been 80 years, and a lot has happened since the bombing of Pearl Harbor and World War II. And now we understand that, unfortunately, we are now losing our World War II generation of about a 1,000 a day. So we don't have that many left from the World War II generation. And no doubt with someone in their 20s will probably be the will see the, the last of the World War II generation pass and um, they will taking up the new mantle. And we only hope as historians that the remembrance of Pearl Harbor will never diminish, never go away. And that will constantly always be a reminder each year to remember Pearl Harbor, remember what happened there, and hopefully learn from the situations that caused Pearl Harbor. So we need to go back. And before we talk about the bombing of Pearl Harbor, we need to go back uh, several years because we know that history is not isolated in time. So we need to go back and look at what exactly was going on in the world, in, particularly in Southeast Asia, before December 7th, 1941? So we need to go all the way back into probably around 1931 when the Japanese has officially decided that they wanted to be a world power. And so to be a world power, because Japan is an island, Obviously, it needs more land, and with that land, it also needs resources. Japan, being an island, has limited resources, and we see in past world empires, particularly the British Empire, that though Great Britain is an island, they possessed a tremendous amount of land throughout the world to expand their empire. So as Japan began to move towards wanting to be a world power, we understand that they had a need to possess more land, protect, possess more land so that they could have more resources. So if we go all the way back to 1931, and I would guess that if we would ask most Americans who started World War II, probably the guess would be for most Americans that it was Germany. In actuality, 
we go all the way back to pre-Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany with Japan. In 1931, Japan attacked Manchuria. And we have to understand, why would the Japanese attack Manchuria? Well, where is Manchuria? It's in China. There's a lot of land there. There's a lot of resources there. So Japan attacked Manchuria. They invaded Manchuria. And virtually nothing was done about it. Then Japan in 1932, Japan attacks Shanghai. Also, again, wanting to take more land to expand their empire, to expand their resources. Then also in 1932, that is where we see the rise of Adolf Hitler when he becomes chancellor of Germany. In 1933, as Japan is beginning to make its overtures towards wanting to be a world power, Japan officially leaves the United Nations, or excuse me, the League of Nations, not the United Nations. Japan leaves the League of Nations, and primarily because they no longer wanted to adhere to the policies of the League of Nations, they wanted to build a military. They wanted to build a quite large navy, and they could no longer want to, wanted to be held accountable by the League of Nations and particularly the treaty and then post-World War I treaties of the League of Nations. So Japan leaves the League of Nations, and as Japan now is beginning to war in Manchuria and then in Shanghai, Japan now is is needing resources. And so to build this navy, Japan needed iron, steel, petroleum, and then with the navy, they needed to build an air force, they needed a aviation fuel. And so this is where we begin to see uh, Japan's need for these resources if they wanted to continue to build an empire. So Japan was buying a tremendous amount of scrap iron and steel from the United States post-World War I. They were also buying aviation fuel from the United States as they, as they begin their, their buildup. Um, so Japan now is beginning. We, we see Chan, J Japan you know, at war now in China. And so what does the United States do? which we also have to remember that at this point in American history, America is in isolation. After World War I, America did not sign the Treaty of Versailles, even though President Woodrow Wilson wrote it and the 14 points. We did not join the League, the League of Nations. We decided that we were going to go back into isolation, pull our influence away from the world, go back into isolation, and allow the world to go on and hopefully be secure. Because remember, it, it, the idea was that World War I was the war to end all wars. And the world would never see this massive demonstration of carnage ever again. So America went back into isolation. We went through uh, the Roaring Twenties. And then as we go into the Thirties, we then go into the Great Depression ourselves. So America is in isolation which meant our military would become tremendously small. And actually, by the outbreak of World War II, our military total was somewhere around 130,000 military personnel, 
which is extremely, extremely small. So America's isolation. Japan is now beginning to make their move towards becoming a world power, particularly at first, obviously, in Southeast Asia. Japan begins an aggressive military buildup through these years, and Japan now is at war in China. The United States and China were allies. We were very friendly towards China, particularly because we had tremendous trade routes in China. And remember, this is before China fell to the communists. That's 1949. So we want to supply, we want to help China as much as possible now with their war against Japan. So we are supplying China with military weaponry. So is Great Britain. And so is a few of the other allies. Japan knows this. So what does Japan do to cut off these supplies coming into China is they cut off the Burma Road, which that was the route that military supplies were coming into China from the allies, particularly or specifically the United States of America. So what does the United States then do? President Roosevelt then declares an embargo on all trade with China, or excuse me, Japan. President Roosevelt puts an embargo on Japan that we will no longer sell them scrap steel, we'll no longer sell them iron, we will no longer sell them aviation fuel as long as they are in China and they're, they're at war with China. At the time, though, we were still selling them gasoline, petrol, aviation fuel, we weren't selling them anymore. So we cut off a lot of our trade with Japan, hoping that they would stop the war against China, withdraw from China, and go back into Japan. And that was not what Japan had in mind. And it's important for us to remember that America was in isolation. We no longer wanted to be involved in another world war. We know, did not want to send American troops back into particularly Europe and even more into Southeast Asia. We, we wanted nothing to do with it. So because our military was small and Japan knew that and Japan knew that we were in isolation and we really did not want to go into another world war, Japan began to probe to see how much they could do and what they could do to get what they ultimately wanted, which was to become a world power. So as we embargoed trade with China, excuse me, Japan, America began to see what they could do to push the United States to either withdraw our embargo or possibly leave our total influence that we had in Southeast Asia, particularly in the Pacific. So in 1937, as we are supporting China in its war now against Japan, we sent a, a few of our gunboats over to patrol up and down the Yangtze River in China in support of China. We were not there to fight. We are not involved in a military action against Japan, but we wanted to show China that we were supporting them with a few of our gunboats, and we wanted to show Japan that we were willing to, to support China in its fight against the Japanese. 
1937, Japan sunk one of our gunboats called the Panay, and it was on the Yangtze River. And it's this fairly large vessel. It's not a battleship, and it's not the vessels that we see in the modern American Navy, but it was a significant size ship that particularly we had left over from World War I, and there's a gunboat uh, in Philadelphia, and you can go down there and see it. So the Japanese sink one of our gunboats. They humbly apologized. They said it was a tremendous mistake. They didn't realize it was one of our ships, and they were very humble in apologizing for their quote-unquote mistake. Well, we know it was not a mistake. The United States ship is is well seen. It, it it is you can see the United States flags. You can see USA written on it. The Japanese knew that this gunboat was an American gunboat, and what they were doing in sinking the Panay, and several United States sailors were killed in the sinking of the Panay, the Japanese apologized and offered to pay us $2 million, which our government accepted their apology and accepted the money. But what did that say to the Japanese? What message was that giving to the Japanese? One, America was in isolation. Two, America was weak militarily. And three, America really did not have the stomach to fight another war. So the Japanese probed us. They sunk a Panay. Our response is absolutely nothing out, outside of accepting money and accepting their apology. But this told the Japanese that the Americans did not want to fight. We didn't have the stomach to fight, nor did we want to fight. So they believed the Japanese militarists believe that we would eventually back away. We would take away our embargo. We would again agree to sell Japan steel, aviation fuel, and, and other products because the Japanese knew that they could begin to push us as they probed the Panay and we do nothing. They realized that America does not want to fight. America is not looking for a fight. So ultimately then, as we continue the embargoes, and President Roosevelt even upheld the embargoes, Japan wanted to continue its influence, obviously all throughout Southeast Asia, into the Pacific. So in October of 1941, this is when General Hideki Tojo comes to power as the prime minister in Japan. And he obviously wants to expand the empire of Japan militarily. So between Hideki Tojo, General Hideki Tojo, as now the prime minister, and his highest ranking naval officer, Admiral Yamamoto, they understood that they had to expand their influence into the Pacific Ocean through the, ch the island chain in the Pacific Ocean to push America even farther away and get American influence out of, out of the Pacific. And again, particularly General Tojo understood and believed that if America was continued to be pushed militarily, we would continue to back away and not want to be involved in any fight against the Japanese. And now, particularly at this point in time, because Japan has, has uh, joined the Axis powers. 
So Admiral Yamamoto believes that if Japan attacked our naval base at Pearl Harbor and destroyed our South Pacific fleet, Admiral Mamioto believed that Japan then could use Hawaii as a springboard to bring in ships, supplies, manpower to continue to push us back towards the, uh, the mainland. And we now know that Admiral Yamamoto even had a plan to invade the West Coast of the United States. So what happened was that General Tojo was not fully satisfied with ultimately with all of Admiral Yamamoto's plan for Pearl Harbor was supposed to be the first phase into getting the United States out of the Pacific. We, we, we then, because of our intelligence, our cryptologists in the, in, the, in the South Pacific, which was called magic, our cryptologists began to intercept messages. And as they began to put in pieces of information together, they believed that a, an attack against the United States was imminent. It was going to be somewhere in, South, in the Pacific. They didn't know exactly where it was going to be nor did a lot of our military higher-ranking officers believe that it would be Pearl Harbor because it's a Hawaii. They would thought maybe the Philippines, maybe one of the islands closer to Japan. So we didn't fully understand that the Japanese would attack Pearl Harbor. It's 3,000 miles from Japan. How are they going to be able to attack Pearl Harbor without us knowing it? So what our military did, particularly our Navy, is they brought all of our ships in close together, particularly at Pearl Harbor, because it was our largest naval base in Southeast Asia. And they brought all our battleships in close together to protect them. They used our military personnel to keep guard around the ships, because if we were going to be attacked, we believed that it would be a land invasion, not an air invasion. So honestly, actually, when the Japanese do attack Pearl Harbor, a lot of our battleships and ships are sitting ducks because they're in so close together. So we believe an attack is imminent. We don't believe necessarily it's going to be Pearl Harbor because it's so far from Japan. So we're now on guard. And unfortunately, we now know as we look back, November 26th of 1941, Japan's Naval Task Force leaves Japan and is heading for Pearl Harbor. And there are 30 ships in this task force that is going to attack or lead the attack on Pearl Harbor. So they come in from the northeast and they're on to the north now the northwest side of Pearl Harbor at this point with 30 ships. And we had no idea that these ships are there. And they left November 26 and early in December, the ships are about 130 miles to the northwest of Pearl Harbor. And we had no concept they were there. And the reason we didn't was because, remember, radar was just in its infancy at that point. And we really were partially asleep, thinking and not understanding that attack would not probably come at Pearl Harbor because it was so far from Japan. December 7th, 1941. At 7.55 in the morning, the Japanese Navy attacks or begins the attack on Pearl Harbor at that point. And the, the attack was about an hour 
and 25 minutes long. And it did take us by surprise. And one of the reasons that the Japanese attack us, particularly on December 7th, it's Sunday morning. It's early in the morning. Japan understands that a lot of our military personnel are out the night before on leave. And Sunday morning is a day to be relaxed, sleep in late, or for um, a lot of them to go to church. And so it's a day where it's a more relaxed day in our culture. And Japan knew that. So when the attack begins on Pearl Harbor at 7.55 in the morning, it truly was a total surprise. Our radar specialists saw a large blob on the radar screen. They radioed down to headquarters, and headquarters told them, well, don't worry about it. They thought it was some B-17s coming in from the West Coast and landing at Pearl Harbor. So unfortunately, you know, that this this major blob that the that the radar special saw was just overlooked. Well, we now know that that was the Japanese Air Force coming at us at Pearl Harbor. So the attack starts at 7:55 in the morning. It took us totally by surprise. We had nine battle. We had excuse me, eight battleships, three cruisers, three destroyers there. The Japanese hit or damaged 350 of the American planes that were at Pearl Harbor. Uh, they killed. 70 civilians in the attack on Pearl Harbor and close to 2,400 military personnel were killed with the attack on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese lost 29 planes in the attack. The Japanese information, the last information they got was on Friday, and the information they got from spies at Pearl Harbor was that our battleships were in row Our ships were in row. They're very close together. And our two carriers were in port. So when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, they believed that our carriers were in port. Sometime on Friday, our two carriers that were in port on Sunday, Friday morning were sent out of maneuvers. So when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, two of our aircraft carriers were not there. And the Japanese thought that they were there. This becomes a major problem for the Japanese three-wave attack. This also becomes a major problem for Admiral Yamamoto as he's getting information from his flyers coming back to their ships that our carriers are not in port. And this is what really, in the long term, changes the total the total fight at Pearl Harbor, the total attack on Pearl Harbor in the long run. And this is one of the major mistakes that the Japanese made. So I want to leave right there with the beginning of the attack and picking up on our next program and talk about exactly what happened during the attack on Pearl Harbor, what we lost at Pearl Harbor, the major mistakes that the Japanese made with the bombing of Pearl Harbor and how America resigned itself to now become an influence in the world and declare war on Japan. So again, please never forget December 7th, 1941, as President Roosevelt said, it's a date 
that will live in infamy. May we never forget that date. May we always look at what happened at Pearl Harbor, learn for what learned from our mistakes at Pearl Harbor, and hold it to never allow that to happen again in the United States of America. So this is 1180, 1180 AM WFYL. We are working for your liberty.